Find out what the whole world is thinking in the agenda. This week on the agenda, we'll take the global economic temperature in an exclusive interview with the former head of the European Central Bank, Jean-Claude Trichet. has so far been something of a bumpy ride for the global economy. Inflation remains stubbornly high, banks have collapsed and debt is spiralling upwards for some of the world's largest economies. There's been some better news with China growing and opening up for business post-pandemic and fears of a global recession seeming to melt away. So where exactly do things stand now? Um, what can we expect for the rest of the year? Well, with me now is the former president of the European Central Bank, Jean-Claude Trichet. It's an absolute pleasure to, to have you on the agenda, sir. Look, um, I wonder, what do you see as the role of central bankers in these tough economic times? And do you think it's a role that's maybe changing to maybe expect crisis rather than just manage it? Well, uh, first of all, it's a pleasure to respond to your questions and, of course, uh, the situation is very, very demanding, obviously, at a global level and at the continental level. To uh, respond to your question, I would say that central banks, of course, uh, have to continue to ensure price stability. It is their main mandate, if I may, uh, at the global level, and uh, I take it that it is even more important at the moment I'm speaking than it was the case before, because we really have real threats coming from uh, the inflation uh, side. So ensure price stability, ensure financial stability, which is also extremely important, and uh, particularly systemic financial stability, which uh, has been recognized as one of the major responsibilities of central banks since the Lehman Brothers crisis. And of course, uh, the central banks at the moment I'm speaking, have a number of instruments, of tools that they don't, did not need necessarily had before, but uh, exist today and uh, make them uh, uh, pretty uh, well uh, armed, if I may, to cope with all the difficulties that might come. Uh, I also have to mention that to do their job correctly, central banks have to be independent in my view, uh, as well from the executive branches or for the, uh, the market itself and the private sector itself. It's uh, very, very important that they are really trying to deliver what they were created for uh, in a medium long term perspective. That would be my summing up, if I may, of what we can expect from central banks at the moment. And we'll dig into that a little bit more in a moment. But I, I want to talk to you about your intimate knowledge of the, the European banking system. Um, so I want to know what you think is, is really going on in the sector right now. I mean, you know, we've had the fallout of the collapse of SVB and in the US, that we've got the crumbling of, of Credit Suisse in, in Switzerland. I mean, do you think we're going to be seeing more banks crumble this year? Well, I hope not. <laughs> uh, and uh, in the case of the uh, regional banks in the United States, clearly there was unfortunately a reason for uh, these difficulties because the 
part of the uh, so-called recommendation of the Basel uh, rules and regulations, including the uh, uh, net uh, stable funding uh, indicator, was not respected for the small banks. The, the big banks in, in the U.S. respected that standard and that re regulation, but not the regional banks. And, uh, of course, they were uh, uh, very, very hardly, uh, uh, dramatically, if I may, touched by the, uh, this uh, uh, element. Of course, there was a strong response immediately of the authorities, and we have to recognize that the authorities were up to their uh, own responsibility. So the problem is uh, not to be, uh, uh, to be uh, dramatically uh, aggravated. I take it that we, are, uh, we, we might be reassured that uh, uh, this will be solved. Uh, in the case of Credit Suisse, we are in a totally different universe because it was a big bank, but the weakest of the big banks all over the world. And not surprisingly, when uh, you had problems in uh, part of the banking system, namely in the US with the regional banks, uh, the, uh, I would say, market was uh, very, very keen on uh, checking what was happening with Credit Suisse because, again, it was the weakest. And on top of that, you have a number of remarks which were made by uh, stockholders of the Credit Suisse, which created the difficulty. That being said, I must say myself, I was expecting more difficulties coming from the, uh, I would say, sphere of non-banks, non, the, the financial sphere of the non-banks, uh, because it seems to me that it is in this area that we might have more uh, highly leveraged institutions, more uh, highly leveraged segment of markets, more necessity to refinance. And then I would not be surprised if you have some difficulties emerging out of the very vast sphere of the non-banks. So I'm, I'm not expecting, uh, I have to say, it's a personal view, of course, mm -hmm. too much problems coming from the banks themselves after what we have observed, and certainly not in Europe, in my opinion, uh, in, I mean in the European Union, still, of course, uh, we uh, are living in a financial world which remains fragile in some respect, and we have to be very vigilant, very, very careful, and uh, full of uh, attention to what might come from, again, as I said, financial sphere in general, but more particularly the non-banks. You, you talk about the, the financial sphere being fragile. So I, I, I'd like you to you know, look back at your time at the European Central Bank and what happened in, in 2008. You know, how is what you see happening now different to what happened in the last big financial crisis? Yes, certainly. What, what's happening now is uh, very different in many respects, but there are also similarities. The differences uh, first, uh, we were in a world where uh, prudentials had been very, very neglected. So in the banking sphere in general, you had a vulnerability of the banks, commercial banks, investment banks, which was really considerable. And uh, not surprisingly, it was the banking system 
that were that was very very heavily touched when the crisis erupted. Uh, a lot of lessons have been drawn from that period, and uh, the rules, regulation, the Basel rules, uh, have been considerably improved since then. Uh, with um, I would say a multiple of the. Uh, uh, capital requirements that were uh, required uh, before Lehman Brothers uh, that are now required. So, a uh, major difference from that standpoint. Another difference is what uh, is the benign neglect uh, of uh, the private sector, but also of the public sector at the time. This idea that uh, we were in the best of the world possible, that there was no real risk to cope with in the future, which was more or less the situation immediately before the uh, uh, major difficulty uh, that uh, we had uh, uh, observed, of course, with the subprime crisis and the Lehman Brothers crisis, uh, all this is not, does not exist today. Of course, everybody knows today that difficulty might come, that you have to be very prudent and cautious, that vigilance is of the essence. That makes also a very big difference. Similarities, I would say the major similarity I, I see is the overall leverage of the global economy. When I look at the, uh, I would say, consolidated public and private debt, uh, outstanding public and private debt at the global level, I see a level of indebtedness uh, that is very, very important, and even at a global level, more important than what we had uh, in, say, to simplify, 2007, 2008. Uh, the substitution, a very important substitution of emerging countries and developing countries' outstanding debt to the uh, developing countries' advanced economies' debt uh, has been operated during that period so that the main culprit, if I may, for this uh, very high level of outstanding global debt is more the emerging countries, are more the emerging countries and the developing countries. But all that being said, the world at the present moment, in my opinion, all taken into account, remains in a fragile situation, and that is a similarity with what we had observed uh, in the time of uh, the subprime and Lehman Brothers collapse. I appreciate that you're saying we need to keep an eye on emerging and developing economies when it comes to, to debt, but there are predictions that the United States could default on its national debt in, in just the next few months. And there's a political standoff um, with virtually no negotiation happening on how to resolve that. I mean, what do you think that says to the rest of the world? What's, what's your take on that? Well, uh, you know, I have been in the business, if I may, for uh, many, many years. So I have experienced several episodes uh, looking very much like the present episode, uh, some kind of uh, uh, major difficulty between the executive branch and the Congress and the House of Representatives in particular, and this idea that, uh, uh, after all, if uh, there is no agreement, then uh, you have the possibility for the uh, United States uh, not to honor their debt. All times, uh, without any exception, when we were in such a situation, of course, 
a solution was found out, uh, because whatever the uh, difficulty are, there is always a way to avoid that would be a total catastrophe, of course, which would be the default of the U.S. Treasury. So I, I don't think at all that uh, it would be the end result of the present major difficulty. It seems to me that it's extremely unlikely that they didn't find a solution, but that does not uh, suggest, of course, that uh, you do not have major problems, major political difficulty, uh, fierce, I would say, quarrel between the Republican executive branch and the Democrat uh, uh, House of Representatives. So, again, you see, I'm tranquil as far as the end result is concerned. I expect still a lot of uh, fierce battles, if I may, to be observed. Let's talk about consumers, because it does feel like the, well, the response of central banks to uh, the f financial instability is, is to, to raise interest rates. And I wonder if you think we're entering into a prolonged era or period of, of higher interest rates and what that will mean ultimately for consumers. Well, uh, f first of all, uh, of course, we have obviously a problem in major uh, economies of the world and uh, certainly in practically all advanced economy, a major problem of inflation. And uh, in the long run, if you don't combat inflation, then you have uh, interest rates that are going up and up and up and up and up because uh, the uh, savers and investors consider that they have to, uh, I would say, uh, hedge themselves Against future, against future inflation, so the interest rates, the market interest rates, not the in, interest rates that are decided upon by the uh, central banks, but the interest rates that are decided by uh, the uh, market uh, are going up and up and up and up. And so, uh, it, in my opinion, it is uh, pretty wise by the central bankers to try to combat inflation. By the way, they are encouraged by the international institutions to uh, not to practice benign neglect in this respect. So, again, it is normal in a period where you have inflation at levels that are, frankly speaking, pretty high in comparison with the objective of uh, many, many central banks, which is around 2%, when you have headline inflation at the level of 7% or at the level of... Uh, 5% in the US, 5% in uh, the euro area, 7%. It means, of course, a lot in terms of, uh, uh, I would say, uh, dangers if it goes on and on. And of course, if it accelerates, it could be as dramatic as it was in the previous very high inflation period that the global economy uh, observed. Unfortunately, after the first oil shock until the second oil shock in uh, 73 uh, up to uh, the uh, start of the 80s. And then, of course, uh, we had inflation galloping uh, up to 14%. So you see much, much higher than what uh, I was mentioning. The interest rates had to go even higher, much higher at 20% 
to be compared to what we are observing now, which is, of course, much, 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 much slower. So we have to understand the lessons of the past. I think that it is important that uh, the central banks, and not only the central banks, I would say uh, all partners uh, are at stake there, uh, not only the authorities, but also the private sector, in order to regain control of inflation, which uh, again uh, is mainly to avoid uh, drama in the future. That, of course, it is not easy to operate. It is not easy to be courageous enough to take the decisions that are not necessarily, uh, I would say, very pleasant, but, but it is necessary. And in my understanding, uh, for the poorest, for the uh, most vulnerable part of the population of any society, it's very important that you maintain price stability and combat inflation, because inflation is particularly uh, difficult to, uh, I would say, cope with for the most vulnerable and the poorest part of our population. The, the wealthy part of the population have uh, many ways of guaranteeing, protecting themselves against inflation, which is not the case of the poorest. And let's continue our conversation now with Jean-Claude Trichet, former president of the European Central Bank. Let's talk about global growth and where that's coming from. How important is China, do you think, to a robust economic recovery? Well, uh, China was, uh, in comparison with its uh, previous uh, uh, years of growth, of very rapid and impressive growth, uh, China was very touched by the COVID, of course. And uh, last year, uh, I understand the uh, growth, the estimate of growth uh, for uh, 22 were 3%, 3%, much lower, of course, than what China normally observes. So the end of COVID and the change of uh, the policy in China, uh, which certainly was very welcome, but the, the change of, uh, of the attitude uh, of vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, uh, confinement and so forth, uh, is putting the growth in China uh, at a much higher level. So that's good. And uh, in uh, 23, the best estimate are uh, more than 5%. So in comparison with 3% uh, in 22, more than 5% in 23, in 23rd, is, is something which uh, is uh, very, very, uh, I would say, uh, important. That does not mean necessarily that uh, China will continue to grow in the future as uh, in the past. For many reasons, we can go uh, under all, all those reasons. But it, it was observed in all countries in the world. I mean, you had a period of uh, catch-up, which uh, uh, is always very, very impressive. And then when you, the, the catching-up process is already established, there is some kind of uh, logistic, I would say, curve for, uh, for the uh, real growth. Uh, and we will see exactly what happens. But uh, what I note, of course, is that this year, the contribution of China uh, to growth, <laughs> growth in China first, and global growth is quite substantial. And what impact do you think things like um, the, the US Inflation Reduction Act and President Biden's upcoming plans to limit 
US investment in China um, are having on the, the global economy. Many have called it simple protectionism. Would you agree? Well, it's, uh, it's a very complex situation because I observe uh, everywhere in the world because of the previous crisis, because also of the uh, COVID crisis, because of all the risks that could materialize, an attitude vis-a-vis -vis the long, if I may, important global value chain that we were used to in the period of very active uh, globalization, the, the period of, uh, of uh, accelerating globalization, uh, and now we are in a different universe, clearly. I see that in the US, of course, uh, you just mentioned it. I see that in Europe, obviously, with this idea that uh, we had not all the medicine that we should have in the time of the COVID, that we have to protect uh, ourselves uh, against uh, the possible breakdown of, uh, uh, as I said, this uh, long value, global value chain for uh, production of uh, many goods and services. And I see that also in China, by the way. Uh, China also uh, wants to, to be less depending on the outside world in some respect. So I take it that after a very, very uh, important period of accelerating globalization, we are now probably, for many reasons, in a period where the hedging against the breakdown of part of this uh, global value chain becomes something important. And I would say that without any uh, mentioning at this stage of, I would say, uh, uh, geostrategic uh, issues, but uh, only to be sure that we can produce in time what is necessary for our various societies. So. Let's be prepared, in my opinion, for a period of slow globalization. I would not say necessarily deglobalization, because I take it that the division of labor at a global level remains of, uh, of uh, I would say decisive importance that we, we can have at a global level and at the level of each particular economy or continent a lot of benefits coming from this uh, uh, division of labor at a global level, but it is much more a period of slow globalization with the hedging against uh, uh, all the possible difficulties that could occur in the global value chain. Of course, this is my perception today at the moment I'm speaking. Uh, we will see what happens. And uh, I had mentioned the global geostrategic risks, if there is materialization, further mat materialization of these uh, strategic risks, then I expect that we could see more of the deglobalization, yeah. which I hope we will not have. Well, speaking of the risks and, and the difficulties, the current head of the European Central Bank, Christine Lagarde, said recently that the fragmentation of the world economy into rival blocs led by the United States and China threatens to destabilize global commerce and increase inflation, weaken growth. Do you see that happening? 
Well, uh, I think that, uh, of course, the uh, rival blocks which were mentioned uh, are, uh, of course, a major, major risks, as said uh, Christine Lagarde, for uh, global commerce uh, and for growth. I would say many, many for growth. Uh, I hope very much that uh, as the uh, I would say Europeans very often are, uh, are saying that we will have uh, some, some, something like a, a de-risking period. It was, it was more or less what I was saying, namely, let's try to uh, diminish risks that are associated with the overall, I would say, global value chain and overall division of labor at a global level. But Let's not decouple. Jean-Claude Trichet, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was a, a pleasure.